Hello and welcome to Cannon and Cockrell. My name is Michael and I'm a Spurs fan. And my name is Jason and I'm an Arsenal fan. And in the absence of any new football to talk about, we're going to start a new series on the show called Throwback Thursday, where we look back at a particular match, player or season in the history of Arsenal and Tottenham Hotspur. And we thought, what better place to start than the 29th of October 2008 and the 4-4 draw at the Emirates. I think there are probably plenty of places we could have started that would have been a bit more positive towards the Arsenal side. But I'm willing to let it slide. I think uh, I think I'll get my payback one day. I'm sure you will. I'm sure there's uh, a couple of uh, 5-2 results that we might end up uh, talking about on this. But to take people's minds back to 2008, we were both, I believe, 13 years old, living in Switzerland at the time, which that summer had just co-hosted the Euros with Austria that England hadn't qualified for. Uh, Capello was England manager, Mourinho had only recently taken over into Milan, and Mikel Arteta was still playing for Everton. Um, the James Bond film Quantum of Solace was about to be released in cinemas, oh, and Barack, Barack Obama was only a few days away from being elected president of the United States. Well, now uh, I feel old. <laughs> and So What by Pink, do you remember that song? That was near the top of the charts, as well as Sex oh, on Fire by Kings of Leon. Come on, that's like that feels like 20 years ago. It does feel a lot longer than wow. well, that seemed to be 12 years ago. We watched this game together, Jason. You were actually staying over at my house that night. It was a school night, so I don't know whether maybe your parents were away or something. Probably not the best. No, they, wanted, they wanted to put me through some torment. That's for sure. Yeah. I was going to say probably not the best place to be watching the game for you with a with a Spurs fan. Uh, what are your memories of watching this game? I think it was one of the worst evenings of my life, actually. And I still remember. I still remember having to go to sleep on that and just seeing you run around like a lunatic around the around your lounge, just thinking, what have I just watched? It was a it was a capitulation and it kind of uh, it, it marks for me the start of the tide turning ever so slightly and kind of the the years of Tottenham being nothing and me being able to, you know, not even not even think remotely that you and your club would be a threat to my joy as a football fan. Um, but uh, I think, you know, a slip and a, and a, and a fumble and, and, a, and, a, and a smack of the woodwork and all of those contributed to, to the end of Arsenal's dominance, I think, against in North London. That's probably what that game signifies to me. So in, in terms of an evening, it was, it was, it was terrible, and in retrospect, even worse, um, even worse than that. How about you? I'm sure uh, you still get goosebumps to the day, almost, almost equivalent to um, to your Champions League semi-final triumph, because that's how much you valued um, getting anything off Arsenal. I believe there was a DVD, in fact. Well, the, those were the days of uh, of DVDs, yeah. Um, well, I remember, funnily enough, I had only just a few days before that been to my first ever Spurs game at White Hart Lane because. I was there for Redknapp's first match, the 2-0 win over Bolton. It was the first Spurs game I ever went to. And I remember the morning of the match, waking up and finding out that Ramos had been sacked and Redknapp was coming in. And of course, we were bottom of the table, two points from eight games. And this was sort of Redknapp's first official game in charge away against Arsenal, having just come in. We beat Bolton. We were, we'd had our worst ever start to a season since the Titanic sank or something ridiculous like that. Um, and even with Redknapp coming in and the positivity of getting that win over Bolton, we were still bottom of the table. But even given that, there was a bit of sort of hope and optimism going into this Arsenal game. The new manager bounce 
might see us through, even though Arsenal were, and I, I got up the, the Premier League table at the time going into the game, Arsenal were fourth on 19 points behind Hull on 20 points. Hull, if anybody remembers the incredible start Hull made to their first ever Premier League season. And looking through the table, I mean, Portsmouth was seventh, Sunderland in ninth, Blackburn were 11th, Bolton were 17th. When you look at some of these clubs and where they are now, um, and then Spurs are the team who are actually bottom of the league in 20th, and think about everything we've achieved since then, it does actually make me think, I mean, the whole Daniel Levy conversation is another conversation for a different day, but it does make you thankful for how well run Spurs have been in recent years in comparison to some of those clubs who were above us at the time. Um, but Arsenal were still at that time sort of title contender team. They hadn't yet uh, become the the joke that they were about to. And I think, as you say, this match was maybe a contributory factor in that and Tottenham's gradual eventual rise to overtaking them uh, with this 4-4. And if we go into the match itself, the first goal, David Bentley, a former Arsenal player who had only joined Spurs that summer, when you look at that goal, Jason, do you see a wonder goal or do you see a goalkeeping howler from Manuel Armunia? Well, this isn't going to surprise you, but I looked at this goal and I broke it down second by second. Now, Mikel Sylvester shouldn't have been playing in the first place. This is when you look at the lineup before the game even starts. You're thinking this team isn't actually as good on paper as what the Arsenal team is now. Yet, maybe it was something about Wenger. Maybe it was something about the 4-4-2 balance that the had worked in the past and and uh you know this was actually if if i be, if i'm correct this was 2008-09 so you know the previous season we, we were we were rocking as the arsenal um but the, but the first goal sylvester barely clears it you know he, he just kind of you know you would think he would have booted it or headed it to the wing but he heads it right into the middle to your playmaker um it didn't seem like anyone was trying to press Modric or Genus or anyone who was who was who, who were creating the move and then you know Bentley has amazing technique in ter- in terms of his technique and, and you know his execution brilliant I can't take anything away from that but Almunia is still on his left side of goal he's 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 got nowhere to move he just needs to catch it or or die for it and he seems to do a bit of half the other he's not even off the line so he should he should have easily Saved it. And I also have to take the task, the celebration from a former Arsenal player. Um, I never heard of any wrongdoing in terms of the club and him. Um, so I just think the way he celebrates as well. I understand it's a derby. He's kind of got his big move. Um, it, it's an amazing goal. It's it's against his, uh, his old club. But his emotions got away from him a bit. So I would say, I, I would say great, great finish. But preventable and uh, kind of summed up the individual errors that happened at that time with Arsenal and, and uh, you know, epitomises really um, why Arsenal became such a such a story. Do you remember when there was talk about Almunia getting in the England squad, about getting him a British passport and getting him in the England team? Do you remember when very briefly there was that talk? I'm afraid you never forget traumatic events like that in your life, that kind of flashbulb memory um, events. I mean, yeah, they said that about Teta as well. And Almunia, we didn't have... It's funny, I was watching... Um, I was watching Sven-Goran Eriksson speak the other day. He was being interviewed and they were talking about his England mistakes. He said, I never had, in my opinion, a, 
a goalkeeper who was world class um, with a bit of shade thrown to other to other English goalkeepers at that time. And, you know, Amunia at one point was saving penalties. He, he was he looked confident. He was seemed to be the heir to Jens Lehmann. Fabianski couldn't get near him. And I guess if that was an option, why not? But really, and you look in retrospect and the, the amount of mistakes he made. Um, in crucial moments, even, you know, it started in 2006 in the Champions League final. I think if he wasn't in goal, we probably would have won that final. And that that says a lot. And I don't mean to um, to, to single out Manuel. Um, I'm sure he's a lovely guy. He's welcome on the podcast anytime, I'm sure. Uh, but, you know, it's it's uh, I, I don't think it's um, it's a coincidence that a lot of our major uh, mistakes and errors came from uh, the goalkeeper. Well, speaking of goalkeeping errors, you, you criticised Mikhail Silvestre that he did score the equaliser for Arsenal, a header from a corner where Jorelio Gomez was caught in absolute no man's land. And speaking of goalkeepers, Gomez, of course, is renowned for his time at Tottenham for his his errors. Although I actually have fonder memories of Gomez than perhaps people might expect, because if it wasn't for some of his wonder saves against Arsenal the next season, I don't think we would have finished in the top four for the first time and, and, and qualified for the Champions League the way we did. But in this game, for both Arsenal's equaliser and then William Gallas's header to put you 2-1 up, I think Gomez was all over the place as well. And in fact, throughout the whole game, I think most of the goals in this game you could look at and say that both goalkeepers should have done better for almost every single one of them. Um, it was almost a comedy of errors between the two teams. Um, but Mikhail Silvestre is a player that I almost forgot played for Arsenal. What, what did he do at Arsenal I mean how long was he there what what memories are there of him beyond him scoring in this game not much to be honest I don't know if he lasted more than two seasons you know when I saw him I remember seeing him sign I think on a deadline day for free and I thought this is cool I recognize this name I know him as a United player he's one thing so he must be good but you've got to think peaks are Alex Ferguson at that time why would he be letting a defender go to a rival if he thought he was still all that. And you've kind of got the similar situation now with David Luiz in a way, in a way who's who's kind of made the most of it, but he's not the player he was um, a few years ago. And, and Sylvester certainly wasn't, you know, he was, he was the only things we can say and remember about him is that he was slow um, and uh, prone to errors. There's nothing positive I, I can remember apart from this goal. And, uh, you know, it was a, amazing corner from from Ron Van Persie that's the, and, and even the celebration if you watch it they the, the players that are around um Sylvester celebrating almost laughing at him because it's like oh my god like so Mickey scored Mickey uh Mickey scored a goal and it's kind of it, it brings those echoes back to the playground where you know the class um the class clown the one who's not quite um the 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 foot has the footballing prowess of his peers um, scores and everyone's in slight shock kind of hel- there's hilarity endures and uh, it kind of felt a little bit like that and that I think epitomizes his his contribution to uh, to Arsenal in those years but um a bit like a uh, bit like when you scored on the playground exactly exactly very similar to me and I mean it's funny actually you're talking about uh, kind of players who were playing at that time and and kind of perceptions because I believe on the left wing that day what was a was a little player who didn't do much in the Premier League called Gareth Bale now, if I'm right in thinking, he was the one that um, every time uh, he played, you you never won. That's true. It was it was a, the, the Gareth Bale curse. I actually remember being at a game. I think that the following season, 
going to a game at Lane against Manchester, where we won 3-0. And with a few minutes to go, Gareth Bale was brought on as a sub. And I remember people actually kind of semi-jokingly semi sort of bringing up the curse and thinking, oh no, are we going to concede three goals now and not win the game? Because it went on for so long. I can't remember how many games exactly, but this curse that whenever Gareth Bale played, we didn't win, which when you consider then what he became is quite funny to, to think about. It just goes to show how unlucky certain players can be and how close apparently we came to letting him go under Redknapp before he then really burst onto the scene with those Champions League nights against Inter Milan and made a name for himself. And imagine how different things would have been had we let him go and had he had he not those... Uh, those famous matches against Inter Milan. But looking at players as well that night and perceptions about them, I don't think anyone would have thought that William Gallas, who put Arsenal 2-1 ahead, and then Adbayor, who put Arsenal 3-1 ahead, would both end up playing for Tottenham Hotspur only a few seasons later. I mean, when you look back at them now in Arsenal shirts, what kind of feelings do you have towards them? I mean, Gallas was captain at the time of this game as well. So I, I still feel like he didn't get enough... In terms of like in a in a... In a banterous way, he didn't get enough stick for that for that crossover that Sol Campbell had famously made um, the other way. Albeit, I think these are different times and different kind of competitive levels between the um, clubs. Um, you know, for me, he kind of he had all the attributes, Gas as a leader, and there was some there was this arrogance um, which kind of uh, blew up in his face when, when in that famous or infamous rather game against Birmingham, uh, where he he petulantly. Um, sat on the halfway line um, and that was that season before that goal and he kind of you know it was nice to see him score and, and uh, you know he kept the captaincy for a bit at the beginning um, but I think the, the, there was bad feeling bad blood between the fans and him after that and even if he was scoring and defending relatively well he couldn't get back that relationship with the fans and that was the problem I don't think he was ever he was never a he never let us down as a player from when I can remember. It was always the attitude. And um, as we know, the story Sesk took over quite quickly um, after that game as as captain of Arsenal Football Club and for me epitomised what, what the club's about. Um, in terms of Adi Bayor, I mean, it's ironic as well because Nazri chipped it to him or chipped over the keeper and then Adi Bayor scored. So there's this irony of this image of him and Nazri cuddling and, and celebrating meanwhile they're like little city friends later down the line so it really shows about kind of loyalty in football and how quickly it can change and, and also you know you have to value um and um and uh congratulate clubs like spurs in a way or admire them because you look at their squad today and you always say you know it hasn't been refreshed for a while a lot of those players have been there for a while and it's hard to do. United did that when they were successful. You know, they they had uh, they had players recently. I mean, even De Gea. They've all been there since that Fergie era still. And a lot of clubs don't have that continuity. So that's great. But unfortunately, we never had that. And that was that was that problem. I mean, again, this lineup, the only one still there it really was was Walcott until uh, a year or two ago. But I guess Spurs, Spurs is a is a completely different lineup to what it was was as well then um and it's interesting you know you in terms of your subs you you had a multi-million pound signing and darren bent not starting that night um and it looks like he he um he proved his manager wrong in that game what was it what were your thoughts on darren bent at that time were you surprised do you remember being surprised he wasn't playing or did he have a slow start i mean all i remember is kind of the comments about harry redknapp and and uh 
how other people other than Darren Bent could score um, certain chances. Yeah, it's funny because I remember when we signed Darren Bent and I remember being very excited about that signing because of all the goals he scored, he scored for Charlton. But obviously he was coming into a squad where you at that time already had the likes of Keane and Berbatov who had formed such lethal partnership. But then Keane, I think, and Berbatov had both been sold that summer. Keane to, to Liverpool, Berbatov to Man United. And I think Defoe was at Portsmouth, wasn't he, at the time with Crouch? I like, yeah, likely. Um, so Bent then ended up being our only recognised striker. And I don't think it helped Darren Bent in his time at Tottenham that his entry into the club came about at a time when we'd lost so many goals up front and he became the, the focal point of a 4-5-1 and was leading the line of a team that then had such a horrendous start with two points from eight games. And I don't think it's any coincidence that then in the January transfer window, Redknapp brought Defoe back to the club and brought Robbie Keane back to the club as well to kind of ease the pressure on Darren Bent. But actually, Bent scored a lot of crucial goals in Redknapp's first few games. And I think did better at Tottenham than people perhaps recognise or give him credit for. Obviously, there's that, that famous miss against Portsmouth, where, as you said, Harry said that um, his wife could have scored. Um, but it is interesting, yeah, in this game, seeing him get that consolation goal. And when you think of Bentley and Bent being the two players who scored the first two goals in this game, and neither of them have really gone down in history as Spurs legends. Neither of them are particularly fondly remembered by... Tottenham fans at the moment it's more other players in that squad who might not have scored that night but did have big influence later on such as Gareth Bale and Luka Modric who when you look back at the highlights didn't score any goals but obviously he inadvertently assisted uh, for the fourth goal with his shot that came off the post but again with the bent goal you look at Almunia spilling the ball right into his path um and again, you say bad goalkeeping, but then it, no sooner does it look like the Spurs have got themselves a lifeline that Van Persie slams in a fourth goal after a terrible piece of defending from Alan Hutton, um, who, I mean, it's strange. Some of these players like Alan Hutton, he he won a trophy with, with Spurs the year before with the Carling Cup, with <laughs> something that the likes of, of Bale and Modric and Van de Vaart and... Uh, you know, Christian Eriksen didn't do. So it, it's funny when you think about how much now we judge the current Spurs team by their failure to win a trophy. But it's not like we look back at players like Alan Hutton and, and view them as legends, despite the fact that they did it's win the trophy. Similar with Arsenal when Yaya Sonogo kind of assisted for the assist for uh, the FA Cup win. And uh, he's nowhere to be seen. Yet someone like Van Persie never won a trophy with Arsenal. So it's, it's, it's kind of remarkable that talent, you know, doesn't necessarily equal or individual talent doesn't necessarily um, equal collective success and it's all about that balance so it, it gives managers a little a little food for thought especially the ones who are spending all that money um, and you always say as well when we're talking on this podcast about you know you can't it's not all about buying 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 exactly what you need you know you need to look at or what you think you need you need to look at the balance of the squad and kind of what you've got within already and I know Arsene Wenger was always keen to go with that philosophy he said listen if I can find quality to add you know, this in this season he brought in Nazri, who who brought that quality, um, but he had that base um, from the year before as well, and he didn't want to ruin that. So I think that's really important. But um, yeah, I mean that goal you were describing with Darren Bent, um, again that that for me is the trigger point when it became a symbol of what Arsenal were about to become. You know, Gallus gave the ball away, clumsy, weak save by Almunia, clumsy. Um, 
you know, individual mistakes, lack of focus. And, and at the end, you see Almunia like almost sitting on the floor, rubbing his uh, face in his hands. You're thinking, you're winning 3-2. The, the self-pitying, and it's, it's kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy in a way. Um, the, the, he was almost envisaging, oh, God, I think I'm going to concede again. And that's not the confidence you want from a number one. And uh, I know Spurs with Gomez had that similarly, that kind of... Um, that kind of atmosphere when, when he made a mistake, you thought, oh, is he going to make another mistake? And and that's when they brought in Lloris. I believe it's no coincidence that that's when Spurs started becoming a better club than they were then. So um, do you, are there any players in particular during this time that, that, that you think were those real clear weak links um, that summed up the Spurs attitude? Or do you think it was just, you know, Harry Redknapp's shift straight away, turn them into the, into the into the players they were going to become in the club it was going to become I think it's a bit of both I think certainly when you look at the Spurs defence as, as much as I, I quite liked Gomez and thought that he did make some hugely influential saves as you said I don't think it's coincidence that we, we were able to step up to the next level once we did have a more reliable um, goalkeeper in Lloris which took a, a while to happen I think it was in AVB's first season that we had Lloris we had Brad Friedel for a while before that um, and when you look at the back four that night, it, it was weird because you have Chorluka playing at centre-back, who's usually a right-back, um, alongside Jonathan Woodgate. And this was around the time when we were relying on centre-backs such as Ledley King or Jonathan Woodgate, who were never really fit for more than one match at a time. And you had rather unreliable full-backs in, in the likes of Alan Hutton and Osu Okotu, who did actually then end up becoming a much more dependable and better player as the years went on. But you look at that defence and it was you, you, it was rare that we would keep a clean sheet and it was usually we'd be relying on outscoring teams. And I think when you had the, the best Spurs defence in the Premier League era under Pochettino with Patongan, Alderweireld, Rose um, and Walker, that was when, and, and then Lloris behind it, and proper defensive midfield players in front of that with Wanyama and Moussa Dembele, you had that base and spine and solidity that Spurs never had before. We were always a bit flaky, always relying on flair players, always seemed vulnerable. And I think that's epitomised in that current squad and the team that was playing that night. You have players like Modric and Huddleston who were good at passing the ball along, but neither of them are really putting in the kind of crunching tackles to protect the defence. And then you have a rather unfamiliar back four that's been kind of pieced together by the players who are still fit. And you're relying on, on the goals up front and if those goals hadn't come I mean there, there's easily another version of this game where we get battered uh, 4-0 and really at 4-2 the game should have been over but I think it was because of Redknapp's influence and the new atmosphere that was then about the club that we did manage to find a way to get the third and then ultimately the fourth goal and I would actually argue that the goal that Jermaine Gina scores to make it 4-3 there's an argument that, that is actually the best goal of the game because it's one of the only ones which isn't, you, that isn't, has nothing to do with any goalkeeping errors. He picks up the ball from near the halfway line, runs almost length of the pitch and then curls this shot from the edge of the box, I think, into the, the top corner. And you can say, well, maybe at that point, the Arsenal players had taken their foot off a bit. They, they thought the game was won. They thought the game was over. You can see actually a lot of empty seats at that point, particularly in the away end. I think a lot of Spurs fans had thought at that point that the match was done. But that gave a little bit of a lifeline. And do you think, do you agree? I mean, which 
do you think it was the best goal of the game or do you think it's obviously David Bentley despite the Armunia error and do you think you can see the early signs of that sort of complacency that set in in the Arsenal team that then left them vulnerable to conceding ultimately the uh, the late Lennon equaliser? But it's funny because looking at that goal, I kept watching it and it, I kept thinking it's taken the deflection. It's, something's happened. It doesn't look natural, but it was actually, in fact, a very good finish. But in the build-up to the goal, Clichy slipped. Now, it reminded me a little bit of, funny enough, years later, I think it was 2009, actually, in the Champions League semi-final, Kieran Gibbs, our left-back, slipped on that side of the pitch to let, I feel like it was Jason Park score. Or Nani or someone, and and I'm thinking is is that side of the pitch uh, of the Emirates pitch slippery or something? Something about our left back. So if that hadn't happened, again, lack of focus seems to be a recurring theme um, in this game with Arsenal. Um, the genius wouldn't have had the chance to do it. Also, our, our defence was backing off. No one was putting in a challenge. And again, that it just showed there was something. It, it was the pressure and the aggression. Um, that that Arsenal didn't have, and that that for me is is the reason why we 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 um, we never did well in those years. We we always needed that uh, CDM or a solid centre back. And it, funny enough, if you look at the stats in this game, Spurs got four bookings, and Arsenal only got one. So make of that what you will. But maybe there was that little bit of aggression from Spurs um, that 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 added to their expected performance. Whereas Arsenal, without that aggression weren't able to get the result that they probably on paper should have got at home and, and in their current form compared to Spurs. Um, but yeah, you, you could see that complacency, that lack of aggression. Um, and when the momentum was with Spurs and, and Arsenal weren't able to cope with that pressure, that's when, um, you know, the momentum of Spurs really, really shone. And uh, I, I can't, I can't um, say it because uh, I want to give you the honours. What happened next? But then what happens next is, uh, I think, long ball forward from, from Gomez gets knocked back by Arsenal. I think Jonathan Woodgate headers it forward. It drops to Modric. He picks it up on his chest, shoots from outside the box, clams against the post. You think, oh, that was it. That was the chance. It would have been a, another wonder goal in a game full of wonder goals. What a moment it would have been. But the ball falls to Aaron Lennon to tap into the empty net. Runs off towards the Spurs fans. Fan jumps on the pitch, jumps on Lennon. The, the Spurs fans that, that kept the faith, that stayed in the stadium, go absolutely crazy. One of the best finishes to a North London derby of all time. And Aaron Lennon, a player who I don't think gets the credit he deserves for his time at Tottenham. Gareth Bale gets all the plaudits. Luka Modric gets all the plaudits. And understandably so. But Aaron Lennon was a player who was with us for a long time. Scored a lot of great goals. Was phenomenal down that right-hand side for us for many years. Um, and I think hopefully he has his moment in this game that, that Spurs fans always remember him for, but there were loads of great goals and great moments with him as well. And both him and Genus actually quite enjoyed a goal against Arsenal. Genus and Lennon both scored in the 5-1 win the season beforehand in the Carling Cup semi-final. Um, Genus scored, I think there was one game where he scored this great last-minute equaliser as well uh, to level a game 1-1 against Arsenal. He always seemed to be up for it against Arsenal genius and score against them. Similarly with Lennon as well. I remember a 2-0 win over Arsenal under Andre B.S. Boas where Lennon rounded the keeper to make it 2-0. Um, so both of those players to get the goals, to, to get us that point and turn the game on its head. I think it's it's nice to, to recognise both of them uh, and give them the, the credit that they deserve. And I think this coupled with that 5-1 win the season beforehand 
got rid of that aura of invincibility that Arsenal had over Tottenham. And even though it then took a few more years for us to finally finish above you, I think this was the beginning of the end of Arsenal's North London dominance. Yeah, I think I have to agree with you. And even, it's funny, you look at the bench for Arsenal that year on that game. Abue, Song and Diaby came on. Fabianski and Bentner on that bench. Funnily enough, the two players that didn't play were Colo Torre and Carlos Vela. Now, why Colo Torre wasn't playing? It might have been an injury, I don't, I don't remember. But someone like Carlos Vela, who was so talented, and to not even bring him on, these, these, were, these were kind of the era where we were like, well, why isn't Wenger making these substitutions? And I, earlier today, I started watching a bit of the, um, you know, they're showing all the Premier League years now, and there was 0304, and you just saw Arsenal, they grinded out a win, and they, had, they could bring on Wiltor whenever they wanted, just at class after class after class. Robert Perez banging them in, who loved to goal against Spurs, and it was just, it was just seamless. And it became so so um, tough for them to get over the line. And that, that was always our, our um, banana skin, just being able to close off a game. And I, I still, in my mind, don't understand how, as a manager, you can set your team up to go invincible. And then years later, you can't even get them to defend. I mean, is it something about the players? Is it something about the management style? I don't know. You know, we've had a lot of different sets of players, a lot of different managers, and we haven't been able to get back to those heights. I mean, there's, you know, if we knew the answer to football um, and world-class football, we'd all be very rich men. But the truth is, bringing it back into the context, um, Arsenal, you know, it, it was kind of like a saturation of of talent and class. They reached their peak um, against Tottenham as well. It was becoming so inevitable and there was, there was obviously complacency. And Harry Redknapp, you can't take anything away from him. He's a class manager who's done class things. Um, and I think without him, if you still had Juan de Ramos um, in charge, um, I'm not sure you would have won that game. I, th- I think it was real new manager syndrome. Um, and, and there was something special in the air for Spurs that night. And I can only congratulate you on getting a point, which Arsenal also got that day. Um, and also getting no added diff- goal difference, the same as us. Um, so well done on that. Um, I mean, that is a funny thing about it. it. It changed nothing, really. We were still bottom. As you said, it was a draw, but it felt like, under the circumstances, a win for Tottenham and a defeat for Arsenal. And it shows you just how you know, a, a draw can sometimes, it, it really can feel like a win and a defeat, as you said, because it then... I mean, we didn't realise this until a few years later, really, that the full impact it had and what it ended up being emblematic of. But it just goes to show how sometimes draws really are worth celebrating because under the right circumstances, they can be just as influential as wins, if not more so, even if that's not reflected in the table. Well, if I'm right, didn't that year, was it last year when Yang missed the penalty, we drew against you? And if we'd won, we would have got top four. Exactly. It just goes to show how... A draw can can be just as important as a, as a win or a defeat. I, I remember that Aubameyang fondly. I remember that penalty being given and getting ready to walk out of Wembley with my dad because it was the last minute. And I thought, here we go. They score this, they win. But Hugo Lloris saved it. And then Vertonghen, I think, cleared a, a potential rebound shot off the line. And yeah, if Aubameyang had scored that, you would have got Champions League football last season. So, I think we've missed something very important. Um, today, and that's looking at who was on the bench for Spurs, because there was one man who who needs little introduction to the podcast. Um, would you like to introduce him? I'm sure you know who I'm talking about. 
Jamie O'Hara. Jamie O'Hara, the uh, the excellent uh, player who um, who brought us a lot of memories. You and I. He did. He did indeed. Maybe we'll have to uh, pencil in a uh, Jamie O'Hara throwback Thursday special. I think so. I think it'd be lovely to kind of look at his career at Spurs as a whole and kind of maybe his games against Arsenal, kind of the things he did and uh, pay tribute to someone who um, who really who really uh, influenced part of our, our relationship as an Arsenal and Spurs fan. And I had a little look to see what the, the next result was after this game for both Arsenal and Spurs, talking about the impact of it and how even though it was a draw and nothing much had changed, a lot obviously had changed mentally. And I believe that the next game, Arsenal lost 2-1 away to Stoke, which is a very um, representative scoreline, I feel, of that era of football, Arsenal losing 2-1 away at Stoke. And Spurs beat Liverpool 2-1 at home. And I remember there being a last-minute Roman Pavlichenko winner in that game. So you really could see with the following results just how much this game had changed uh, the atmospheres at both clubs. Bet you wish that happened uh, in May. If only Roman Pavlichenko had been playing in the Champions League final last season, Spurs would have won. There you go. Says it all. And Fraser Campbell, he was on the bench that day. Remember, never forget those great squads you had. I know, Fraser Campbell. I mean, that was the... We thought we were getting a good deal from Man United when they gave us 30 million and Fraser Campbell on loan, I think. It wasn't even a permanent. It was on loan. Oh, brilliant. We were willing to accept for losing one of the best strikers that I've ever seen at Spurs. And, and that's, this is the other thing. Nowadays, we say, oh, you know, how could we possibly sign another striker when we've got Harry Kane? Huh. But there was a point when we had Keane and Berbatov and Defoe and saying that now we're struggling to even put, you know, one striker on the pitch. At one point, we had three or four in the team. It shows how much has changed in the, the, the perceptions of uh, the squad and what you need. And see, speaking about strikers, and you mentioned Man United there, um, you've got to give a mention to Robin Van Persie, who was awarded a man, man of match for that game. Um, Arsenal Spurs 4-4, you know, he, I think it was two assists and a goal. He just looked phenomenal. And at, at that point, he was so underrated. Everyone knew he was class, but never really saw him as the man of the team. It was Fabregas was, you know, the guy. Adi Bayor was banging him in the year before. Nazi was exciting, but he, he never got the credit he deserved. Maybe that was part of the problem. It only happened when he started banging the goals in, and then then we all started appreciating him. And it, it kind of made me a bit nostalgic. You know, we had, we had a player who loved the club and played well, and, you know, he was ready to sacrifice himself for the team. And all we wanted was a bit of investment to fill in the gaps, and it didn't happen. Um, and I'm afraid history can repeat itself, and that might happen with a player like Aubameyang, who you know had that class as well, was able to do something, is able to do something special on the pitch. We've already seen it happen with Alexis Sanchez, and uh, you know there, there are there are good, very good players that that have left this club um, and not fulfilled the, their their prophecy, I suppose, with Arsenal. Um, but you know, like as you said, Hutton's won a trophy with Spurs, Bale. Bale? No, Bale hasn't. That, 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 that's how it goes. That's life, I'm afraid. That is, that is life. And yeah, looking back, you see the, the crossroads and the, the what might have, what might have been. Mm. Yeah. If, uh, if anybody listening has any suggestions of any matches or seasons or players they'd like us to take a look back on, let me let us know. Um, I mean, we're sport for choice really with North London derbies. So many classics. I wonder, Jason, if 
if you had your pick of the bunch, what, what, which game would you like to talk about next? Oof. I mean, you did mention those two five twos. I think the second one was hilarious, but the first one was very special um, in that manner. Um, that's the first one that comes to mind from a recent modern Arsenal perspective um, that I remember watching. So I think that uh, maybe to balance the books ever so slightly, we could do that one. Um, but I think you'll be getting your, your revenge on me very quickly with a very obvious one as well. <laughs> well, yeah, maybe, maybe five two should be the next one and maybe we could speak a little bit about the the second 5-2 as well. And then who knows, maybe the 3-2 coming from two two goals down to win it, our first win away at Arsenal for however many years, that could be an interesting one as well. Oh, some very good ones. Remind me, I'll, uh, I'll be isolating another room that day. <laughs>